Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 76 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? Just a heads up, at the end of this interview, I'd completely forgotten to ask David what his favorite beer was. And so then, after I mentioned that, we were talking after the interview, and he's like, oh, just let's kick it back off and record it. So we did. And then somehow I uh, didn't save it properly, and so it disappeared. But I do remember that he said his favorite place uh, was the Jolly Pumpkin in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is incredible. He actually said he bricked his phone uh, walking there in frigid sub-zero weather. Uh, so <laughs> good stuff. And he also, uh, Pliny the Elder was another one that he mentioned. So I just wanted to let everybody know those. Can't believe I forgot that, especially of all guests to goof up a recording on. So sorry about that, David. Um, my, my sponsors this week, Peghead Nation. It's the best lineup of mandolin instructors you're going to find. You got Sharon Gilchrist and Joe Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Feibish, Chad Manning. They've got other instruments as well. Guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. They got the high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word at checkout. By the way, if anybody knows where that free came from, the first person who emails me and says so, I'll send you some mandolins and beer stickers. Um, another sponsor this week, Northfield Mandolins. Let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Ear Trumpet Labs, who hand-build microphones in Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed, have great feedback rejection for live use, and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. And Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. All right, let's get into this episode with David Sinkle. Thank you all for checking it out. Be sure to hit subscribe. Leave me a review at the iTunes store. That'd be fantastic. Next week is part one of a two-parter coming up with an absolute legend. There'll be a hint on my Instagram uh, in the next day or so. Cheers, everybody. It's on again. You hate it, but you know it then. You know it, and so do your friends And you can sing together when Okay, now it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast David Cinco. David, how's it going today? It's going real fine. Man, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I've, I pulled up your all music once I, I knew I wanted to have you on because I've been a fan of so many albums and that every time I look at the credits, your name wow. is somehow in them. <laughs> it's just never, I actually never surprised like any great album that I listen to. Uh, the bigger surprise would be if you weren't on there, <laughs> it seems like. No, thanks, Daniel. That's nice. Oh man, no problem. So what do you, what have you been up to here uh, in the new year? Anything exciting yet? The new year, not too much. I've actually been taking it a little bit easy here uh, and of course, staying in, uh, 
but uh, last year just did a lot of mixed a lot of stuff, did a whole bunch of mastering, uh, um, and staying in. Did several big video productions that we uh, 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 had a lot of fun working on and and managed to do safely. Oh, nice. And uh, uh, end of last year, I recorded a new Punch Brothers record. Oh, nice, man. Which is going to be fun. Oh, they're always fun. Yeah. yeah. Yes, my definitely my favorite band. Yeah, yeah, one of mine too. It's just, it's remarkable. And that's the cool thing is you really never know like what, what you're going to get each album. For me, it's just been like a, a surprise every time and a great surprise. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they, they put a lot of attention into not doing it the same every time. That's what, I mean, that's how you grow, you know, you got to be adventurous, you know, that's why they're, they're all the top of the game. And they push, they push the limits of their abilities every time too. Did you do the, um, did you do some of the live shows where they all punch brothers live shows that you did this, this last year? Did you work on some others? I've, I've pretty much done all punch brothers shows except for two weeks out of the last 14 years. Wow. So I've been on every Punch Brothers show except those few during those two weeks. That's incredible. And both of those two weeks, I was working with Sarah Watkins. Oh, were you really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Was it? Was that recording? Yes. Creek for sound, live sound. I did. I did the uh, the 2014 reunion tour. Okay, gotcha. Which was which was great fun. I love I love them all. I do. Yeah, talk about another group of phenomenal players. Right. Uh, well, and we got a live record out of that tour that just was released uh, end of last year too. busy it's been busy it's surprisingly yeah that's great well you know i think uh, you i mean you're probably on the road so often but there's just so much recording to do and and again i mean you're i would imagine you're if you're in if you're in town you're in demand (laughs) it's it's funny when i'm uh, uh, when i'm not on the road with punch brothers which has over the last years has been a lot uh people do know i'm here and i get I get a lot of stuff lined up to do during those times. And of course there's a lot of people at home working on music now. I think that's part of the deal too. So do you do that too? Some people from their like home studios, project studios and do some mixing and mastering for them. Oh yeah. I do do quite a bit. And uh, um, 
Yeah. And there's been quite a bit of that lately. Like I said, people are at home being creative, you know, because like, what else are you going to do? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> so before you started doing all this sound stuff, uh, you were a mandolin builder and that was new t news to me. But some people might once you said the name of the brand I was that you that you took over. I was yeah. easily familiar with the name, but let's let's talk about how you got into mandolin before you got into all this recording stuff. Well, I'd always been into music and I was uh, I was leaving a boat building career. Which came before the mandolins. And I um, I ended up buying a, a, a working mandolin process from a guy named Rolf Gerhardt. And uh, the brand was called Unicorn. He had a trademark and everything. And I sort of continued building them. And, and I got, as I, the more I did that, I more I got into custom making instruments and not wanting to build them exactly the same every time. Sure. Uh, and I sort of just, and, and I ended up moving my whole mandolin build, building shop to Nashville. Uh, and I just kind of got sucked into building and using studios, which, uh, which I had, I had lots of tools. So I, I ended up building the interiors of several different studios here in town in Nashville. Oh, no kidding. Uh, and then I ended up staying at, uh, the sound emporium where I, I, I stayed there until they made me head engineer for a while. Wow. <laughs> And I started out just hanging out there and doing stuff until they had to start paying me. <laughs> <laughs> what type of um, what type of stuff were you doing when you were working on the studios before you started doing the sound stuff, like construction-wise? Oh, I started with a little studio in Berry Hill and just did all of it. Built it out, built out a garage and built a control room out in front of the house and converted the rooms of the house to studio rooms and... We were back then. We were doing silly things like putting sand in walls. Oh, no kidding! Yeah, which which works for a very short amount of time because <laughs> <laughs> the sand always finds its way out. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> no kidding. Had you done any stuff like that beforehand, or was it just kind of just always interested you? Oh, I had done some stuff like that when I was back in San Antonio. Still, during the time I was building mandolins, I was also uh, uh, doing some like custom jobs of uh, building console-type units, more like furniture units that you could put gear in. Uh, uh, and I did several uh, video studios in San Antonio, Texas, with with these basically like a uh, uh, component consoles where you could put together different sizes and mount gear in them um so that was that was kind of a, a big side project in san antonio so i was finishing out video studios there wow that's amazing man well and it's in it's all it all came from the boat building part uh because like in these some of these video studios and uh, uh one of them at least i built a uh, cyclorama as well which was kind of like building a boat very much like building a boat now, what is that exactly? The cyclorama. It's yeah. like a, ro a room where the corners disappear. The, cor the corners are all rounded in and the walls are tipped back. Okay, wow. So you end up with these compound corners 
that are with nothing square. And like you've seen it on TV where you see a guy standing in a complete white background and, and the floor disappears into the wall. That's a cyclorama. Okay, gotcha. And all from all from boat starting out with boat building, which makes total sense when you uh <laughs> when you when you think of a boat. All the tech is there. All the tech is there. And, and even even down to the fine tuning of the of a of a sailboat, it's it's not unlike an instrument. Oh, no kidding. Oh yeah, when you get it tweaked in and and running right, it, and and the tiniest little changes can affect the optimum, right? Sure. Especially, you know, in tone production or, or boat speed is this for a sailboat. It's, it's not different. Yeah. Not to me, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and then you also played then. Yeah, I, I, I won't admit to much playing. I played a little bit. I played <laughs> mandolin and I played some uh, octave mandolin. Cool. What kind of music were you into? Was it, was it the bluegrass stuff or different types of... Uh- Oh well, it, it it was what really inspired me to get into recording at all was David Grisman. Oh yeah, and and of course, right along with him was Tony Rice. When I I heard what they were doing, uh, uh, when Grisman first put the first quintet record, just blew my mind. Yeah, that's to anybody. I think that album would still if you if you get into David Grisman through like hearing his name because of mandolin. I think that first album to this day has a, can have that same effect to people, even as old as it is. Like you hear that, and if you're not familiar with that style of music, you are in oh, for yeah. such a treat. Oh it, yeah, it made me go like, "Wow, you can do that!" <laughs> I mean, it did, and and that's I've, I had the real honor of being able to tell David Grisman that he directly inspired me to get into recording. Oh, nice! And and he and he did, he did. Did you ever do any like recording work with him at all? No, no, never did. I got to meet him, got to went and visited him at his house, and and we visited on the uh, one of those uh, bluegrass cruises. And uh, so I, I got to know him a little bit and talk with him, and I love him, uh, but I never recorded with him. Well, he's one of the <laughs> one of the few giants in this music genre that you have not. Uh, it's I, well, I mean, that's not true. <laughs> it's I don't know. I'm I'm looking at this list, man, and it is like it would be impossible to read them all. It's so amazing, man. So who were who were some of the first things that you started engineering when you, you get into Nashville and they they promote you from from construction and and make you the head engineer? Who were some of the artists that you were working with at that time? I was doing country music then, uh, and I I was working with Don Williams and uh, Trisha Yearwood, and um, I did a I did a John Michael Montgomery record. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I was doing mainstream country stuff. Uh, Trisha Yearwood was probably the, got up in the charts the most, I guess. 
but uh, a lot with Don Williams, and and I started I, I started touring with Don Williams and doing records with him. Okay, so you were doing his live sound as well at that. Yeah. that was was he like the first guy you had kind of really done that with? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, basically, yeah. I I've been doing a lot of audio around Nashville, but uh, uh, I got offered the gig with Don, and uh, I, and they said, "Can you do that?" And I said, "Oh yeah." absolutely (laughs) and i did i did i did fine i did fine i learned a lot from don uh, especially about like how to treat a vocal there's a young man sits by the river got his head held down in his hand there's a lost love in every teardrop and reasons that he just don't understand. Learned so I learned so much from Don Williams. So great. Yeah. How about how about an example of something like that? That how to treat a vocal. Oh, he, the way he would describe it in a mix is that when you're adding stuff to a mix, that it should frame the vocal. And I, and I always love the concept of that. Is it's like. Things in the mix should not be stepping on what the vocal is saying, especially what it's saying. And of course, he he was like a big, big, deep baritone voice, and and things can step on a baritone voice pretty quickly. And and, it, and this is all all this engineering stuff that there's there's no school for you behind it. It was just getting right into it and hands on training and learning. I was in graduate school. <laughs> I, I still am. I, I stole that from a movie too. That's not not my line. Oh man, that's the first time I've ever heard it. Yeah. <laughs> that's excellent. And then, how did you start breaking into like into some of these acoustic, um, like the bluegrassy, new grass, new acoustic? Like you've done. I mean, again, it's from everywhere from my hero Sam Bush all the way up to Hawktail and Jake Jolliffe, All these incredible recordings. Edgar Meyer. Oh, cool. Yeah, Edgar Edgar totally rescued me from country music. Wow. What's the story behind that? Well, uh, I don't know really why. I, I he he came in and did a couple of overdubs on country stuff in the in, this was in the 90s. And uh and I had no idea who Edgar was, but apparently he liked what I was doing and uh, asked me to engineer on the the first the Appalachia Waltz record.
And I was like green country music engineer at that time and didn't know anything really. Um, and Edgar just kind of insisted that he wanted me on that record. Hard to believe even for me at this point that, that he fought real hard for me to, to be on that record. And I, I thank him. Uh, I thank you, Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that led of course to, uh, uh, I did a bunch of stuff with Mark O'Connor at the time and, and, and I got to meet Sam and, and then we did the short trip home record and. Led to meeting all the all those people, uh, Bela and and Bela came along and and taking his year break and asked me to go to Africa. that was like an incredible gig um life-changing that one was no kidding <laughs> I, I can't imagine wow do you have any any uh real uh wild stories that you remember from that as far as like just just being completely like a, it was a completely different completely different thing there oh it was it was uh yeah I'd be, uh, there's so many stories about their uh just uh, showing up in Uganda, and the first thing we heard is this giant marimba that uh, is kind of featured in the movie. Was just kind of mind blowing. We're driving up at dark and hearing this instrument play, and it's like it's it's actually the loudest acoustic instrument I've ever heard, ever. And it and it was not even in a room. I could only imagine how loud it would have sounded like in a in a room. Was it just somebody just out playing it? Uh, it's a whole. It takes a whole group of people to play it. Oh, no kidding! I think there's like six people on up on the instrument itself, be, beating on the thing. Have you Have you seen the the Bela Fleck movie? I have not. I have the album, but I have not seen the movie. Oh, it'd be it's 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 pretty fun. I actually got to see it again recently. Uh, I, I hadn't seen it for years, um, uh, and it was it was really fun to to relive some of that, and uh, uh, and at the end of it, going like, wow. We left so much out. Oh my gosh! <laughs> How long were you there for? Uh, five weeks. Holy cow! Mm-hmm. And just the, the prep, the prep for going on a trip like that was unprecedented in in anything I'd ever done. Because I mean, you're you're going out into the middle of nowhere, and you got to be recording on battery power and have absolutely every single thing that you need for any given situation with you and ready to go. <laughs> yeah, there's no, uh, you can't, you can't Amazon prime it to you <laughs> the next, the next day for a splitter cable <laughs> when you're out there. 
Oh yeah, I got I got in from a tour with uh, Edgar Meyer and Chris Thiele, actually, and I had forty eight hours to prep and pack and leave for Africa for five weeks. And I, I was I was up all forty eight, and I and I cried twice. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> and did you have to Did you have to bring everything you needed? I mean, everything. Uh, wow. Everything. Well, we were the first place we landed was a village in Uganda with no electricity. I was charging batteries at night on a generator. Oh my goodness, that is wild. It was. It was. It was great. It was great. It was the most wonderful thing to do uh, ever. <laughs> Man, I'm gonna have to. That, that movie must be online where you can buy it. I would imagine. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure to, it is. I'll put that on my list for to do tonight. I got nothing going on, <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> so then you, you you do that, and then you get in with Sam, and then you start doing some of these. What was the turning point for you when suddenly it was just like you you couldn't believe the phone calls and and different things like that? Like, do you remember that time where suddenly it was just holy cow? This is this is my living with. And it's cool. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think it was when I, it started with Edgar asking me to do Appalachia Waltz, and and then doing a whole string of Sam Bush records and the and the thing with Bela in, in Africa and all of that. It just was nonstop. I never had a chance to think that. Uh, and, and and actually, you know, the big the biggest turning point was was Punch Brothers coming calling me up and asking me to mix a live show that we did at, at the Belcourt theater here in Nashville. Really? Uh-huh. And they, they asked me to mix a, a show and, uh, I was still working at sound emporium at the time and, and coming off a, a 60 days straight of working, uh, and did this punch brothers show and, and, uh, uh, found out later on that they did a couple of other shows with different people and, and they picked me out of those people and asked me to go on the road with them. And I said, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just, I, I quit the studio and uh, left Nashville in a van with those guys. And I was, I was pretty much done with, with like country music at that point. It was turning into, it was turning into bro country and I, I, I was just not enjoying it. And uh, uh, what Punch Brothers was doing and still doing is what just lights me up uh, and what I love. Had you worked with them before? Was it, was it through Edgar and Chris that that was that the first time you had met? It was through Edgar and Chris. Yeah, I worked with Chris before doing any Punch Brothers. And, and that's kind of how I guess my name got in the hat. That is awesome. And I was, yeah, I was it was, I was so happy taking off and traveling with them. And, and, and we'll, we'll have to get into this in a minute because their, their live sound change has gone through a few different, like metamorphous sort of moments with like, yeah. they, they went through a phase where they had pedal boards. They might even still have pedal boards, but you know, I, um, gosh, when I saw them at Telluride, when I was out there, it was the one mic, you know, so just the, all the different, <laughs> all the different things that it's like curveballs coming at you all the time too. Oh yeah, man, that's oh, yeah. neat. 
Yeah. So um, studio based wise, what are some things, maybe some tips that you could give people if they were, you know, a lot of people are getting into the home recording thing. And, you know, there's so many different softwares out there that anybody can buy some mics and start monkeying around. And, you know, obviously it's not going to be the same as using Neumann's in a in a totally killer room with killer pre's and stuff like that. But just some basic tips that you can give maybe for people recording and then also maybe some mistakes you see mandolin players make in the studio if they aren't familiar with recording um, the recording process. Hmm. Wow. Well, it's first off, it's like kind of difficult to categorize some things as a mistake. <laughs> sure. Well, that's a good point. But because you you know you might discover a, a different way of doing something too. But I, I think that if I were to say any one thing about just recording anything and and putting a microphone up in front of it, the that the the first thing you're listening to is is obviously the thing that you want to record, but uh, uh, if you start listening to everything but what you want to be recording, that's all the stuff that tends to interfere with a good recording. And and oftentimes it's the, and you'd be amazed at how big of a percentage is coming from the space that you're in, even if that microphone is on your mandolin, say. Uh, uh, and considering what's around you and behind you and what else is coming into the microphone is a really big part of getting a good recording. What are some things if somebody is in a room, like a, a little, like a, I guess like a room in a house, I'm trying to think of home recorders at the moment and what, you know, well, worst case scenario would be a completely empty room in a house. <laughs> sure. Right. And we all know what that sounds like. It's like, it, it's uncontrolled slappy echo. And, and it sounds, it just sounds weird, which is, you know, and, you put you put a microphone in that space and the percentage of that that you're going to be picking up besides whatever is actually on the microphone is going to be huge probably more than half <laughs> uh, because because it's picking up all those all those slaps and all the cancellations and weirdnesses is all being picked up by the microphone it's not just picking up the mandolin when you hear it a lot these days especially in doing pandemic like the quality of audio in just about everything is is down and you can hear you hear one person on a zoom call and you can barely understand what they're saying because the room is so slappy and echoey <laughs> right right and then you find somebody that's got a decent sounding space and and it's and he's you can understand him at any speech level is there some things that somebody can do to to um to try and treat the room a little bit like in a, in an efficient, you know, not as, you know, not putting sand in the walls, <laughs> but you know, um, you know, like blankets or anything like that. You know, well, most people go for, most people go for deadening the room, uh, which is not, not necessarily so good because it just kind of gives you a dead sound. Uh, um, not having too many flat ex open surfaces is a pretty good rule though. Lots of, Lots of stuff in a room sounds really good. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but clutter actually sounds really nice because you don't get hard reflections from clutter. You, you get lots of dispersion and, and beautiful reflection from, from that kind of stuff. Like sheetrock is, sheetrock is one of my least favorite sounds. And, I've, and, and we hear a lot of it, you know. Sure. 
because everyone's sitting in a room. You, you <laughs> look, look around you. You can see what, what are all the flat, clear surfaces you see. It's all sheetrock, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's, it's a particular sound. It sounds a certain way. Uh, you know, uh, you walk into a barn and you hear the, the beautiful, soft sound of a barn. And it's all like wood and, and straw, and uh, uh, you can hear that really soft, beautiful high end that's bouncing back, and it sounds beautiful. Sounding beautiful bouncing back, we like for a recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, you can have as much of that in there as you want. You've probably seen some pretty uh, giant changes and techniques, I would imagine, in a sense, as far as like there's been so many changes in equipment and software things and, and different things like that as well. Well, there's yeah, there's lots of new gear that's really good, but it 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 actually hasn't changed that much. And and a lot of people lean back towards the vintage style of, of doing stuff. Yeah, I mean it worked so great back then on all these incredible recordings <laughs> that everybody had, you know, loves. You know, absolutely, absolutely. You know, the the decatree got invented a long time ago and and what people were doing on sound stages and and using like pieces of cardboard between microphones to 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 make it not omni uh things like that uh, the historical recording i love looking at pictures to see what they were doing with with microphones uh and 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 once again it's, it was the the sound of the spaces they're in if the if the if the space you're in sounds really good you can afford to move the microphone further away from what you're recording. Oh, that makes complete sense. Right. And, and because like, as you, as you move the microphone further away from your mandolin, say you start picking up more and more space that you're in. And if the space is wrong, it adds wrongness to the recording. And, and, it, and that's why in a, in a not good sounding room, it tends to make you want the microphone really close. And that's really close is not the best representation of what an instrument sounds like. A lot of like, it's, it's wild. I don't know if any, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people have done this, but I don't know if anybody's done it like intentionally, but just listen to somebody playing and walk around in front and hear where you find like the best sound. It's, it's incredible. The difference in, you know, like the first time you hear somebody play your instrument and like, Oh, that's what it sounds like, <laughs> you know, cause you have a completely different perspective of it. It's completely different perspective, and and if you're moving around in different places, which is like how you place a microphone, is you move your head around to where it sounds good and put the microphone there. That may sound simplistic, but it's it's absolutely true. Do you have a uh, do you have a all time favorite room that you've ever recorded in that you were just like this is perfect sounding room? Uh, Skywalker sound. Oh no, kidding. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. With uh, with Edgar Meyer and Chris Thiele. Oh, that's what, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, and and I also managed to get the microphone as far from anyone as I ever have in that space. <laughs> Holy and, cow! And uh, uh, yeah, so that was that was all na on that record, the the bass and mandolin record. Yeah, was that the, the uh, is that the second one? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. 
And that's all all natural room sound. There's no added reverb. Oh wow, no kidding. Yeah, that's what that place sounds like. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was it was amazing. It was an amazing space, and what a what a privilege to be in there and record. And plus, it's like it's George Lucas studio, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say you like a Star Wars guy because for me, that's like that'd be oh yeah yeah <laughs> that even even just on top of being there, I'd be like just nerding out. I've seen like pictures of some of it, and just like the stuff there would be <laughs> be tough to get stuff done the first day. <laughs> It was it was difficult to not nerd out. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And then what about um, do you have like a uh, go to, you know, I, I know every instrument's different and stuff like that. But do you have kind of like an ideal setup that you really love to use when you record mandolin? No. Oh, no kidding. No, I don't. Um, I've, I've I've done it lots of different ways. And uh, it's, it seems like it, it can be instrument dependent or situation dependent, like what, what gets done. I generally, in the studio, I, I do kind of prefer a, a high and low microphone setup. Uh, how, how far apart? Like, I guess, well, again, it depends. Um, like, well, pretty, pretty close together because the instrument is rather small. One of them pretty much like off the, the like at, at the 14th fret where, where it meets the body pretty much out like that in front of the instrument and one down low sort of uh, sort of on the f-hole but not close i mean i'm talking like still like easily a, a foot and a half at the closest oh wow okay uh, if you can swing it you know uh, maybe a foot if you're if you're really wanting to get thing and then because because like the on a single mic it tends to make me want the mic further away to capture the whole sound of the instrument with a two mic thing you can make it uh, uh you can make it sound uh, a little more uh, uh a caricature of the instrument which oftentimes is cool and you want uh where it gets to get it big and fat and sitting up in front of the mix uh, like a snare drum you might want two mics on it uh one like off, like i said off the 14th fret out maybe a foot and in when the player's sitting, the the lower mic would be like almost right between the knees, uh, and they and both and I tend to like them both the same distance as opposed to, and not not angled, so they have the same angle of incidence to the instrument and they're the same distance from the instrument, uh, and that's just a that's a thing I, that that is sort of a, a tried and true technique that I do with lots of whenever I'm doing more than one mic. I try to keep the same angle of incidence from the source and the same distance to minimize like phase and distance issues. And, and it's just the range of players, like incredible players that you, I mean, from Sam Bush to Thiele to my buddy, Kim Warner in the green cards. Oh yeah. Um, you've just done, man, so many, the, the Gibson brother recordings, you've had a few different killer mandolin players. I mean, Oh, do you have any uh do you have any favorite studio moments that you recall being part of? Oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really all of them. Uh especially mandolin moments, like every moment in the studio with Sam Bush is fun. Even sometimes when it's like really hard work, it's fun. And I just I've never laughed so much in the studio as I have with Sam Bush. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. 
so that would be, I guess that would count as a moment. Wouldn't sure. It? Absolutely. Um, you know, all of them. I, I, so many great moments. I mean, again, I've got your all music. I'm just like, it takes five minutes just to scroll it on my iPad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just cause there's just so many incredible albums that you've been part of. And again, they're not even, you know, some of them aren't even listed on here. I love, love one of my all time favorite albums that I listened to in the last, I guess it'd be two years ago, maybe now, but that Jake Jolliffe album. Oh um, yeah. Sounds so good, man. That was fun. We did that in, up in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. And I interviewed him for the podcast and we talked about, actually we went to dinner one time when they were in town, when he was still playing with Yonder and uh-huh. I was telling me about the experience and it's just like, just, he couldn't say enough good things about it and, and you can hear it in the recording. Yeah. Well, we had fun and with everybody out in the room and no baffles. Oh, wow. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. It, pretty much everybody kind of in a circle out in the room. And uh, uh, that was that was a very fun project. I loved that. Now, did you do that at um, like a studio in Brooklyn or? Yeah, uh, Brooklyn Recorders. A really nice room. Uh, uh, it had to be a very nice room for everybody to be out in the open and playing like that. Uh, just for them to be able to hear each other was a, is is that's probably the most important thing. Uh, is the musicians hearing each other? Because the the better they hear each other, the better the music is, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Get that playing off of each other or somebody hears something that, you know, could take a song in a completely different direction that they never even thought of until somebody, you know, hits a particular note or a lick or something like that. And yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, and I do, I mean, I do have to ask, I mean, what's it like working with Thiele, who is just... Yeah, but you can't even really put that guy in a classification as far as technique goes. <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous how how uh, how he's changed the instrument like some of the greats have done. You know, like he's yeah. got a whole generation of players that grew up listening to him that have changed the instrument from the way it was even when he was in Nickel Creek. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a it's a different thing. Uh, getting to, to watch him develop his craft for, I've been watching him play for 15 years, uh, a little over 15 years now. Wow. And it's, uh, uh, it's been incredible to watch him, watch him refine it. It was already great when I first encountered him and, and he's just taken it to a, another level. So let's got, let's get, talk a little bit about like the, uh, the live music setup and different things like that, especially, you know, I mean, again, the Punch Brothers have gone from the uh, clip-on mics. I'm not even sure what, I mean, it's been so, well, I haven't seen any live music in a year, I guess. <laughs> but what is their, um, when they get ready to go live, what's been like their latest iteration of setting up and, and how do you help determine all that different stuff for them? Well, the, the latest, well, I mean, part of it, I mean, they really tell me what they want to do and then I figure out the best way we can do it. But that's how that works. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and gladly so. I mean, uh, uh, what we're doing, what we've come through a whole, a whole bunch of different setups and finally arrived at the last one that we've used for the last uh, couple of years uh, um, in terms of like our bigger production setup. And it's a, a clip-on on every microphone, all the same clip-on. And two large diaphragm mics 
uh, and in, including a pickup on the guitar and a pickup on the bass. Oh, no kidding. And that's the, that's the entire setup. Oh, wow. What are the uh, clip-on mics? Uh, the clip-on mics are all the Audio-Technica ATM 350s. Uh, they just, uh, they're, they're sturdy. They last a really long time. All those little mics to me, especially when you get them that close to an instrument, they're all the same. They're, they all have too much information and not all of it's good. <laughs> right. <laughs> all of them. Even, even, you know, even the, the DPA is a wonderful little microphone and it's, and it's just not built for daily use on the road. Just not. I, 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 they're they're wonderful mics and they're expensive and uh, and they're not easily repairable and just not to me not right for what I was doing. So what's a what's a day? I mean, because I, I, I would imagine every venue is completely different to to get live sound in, especially I mean, in an acoustic music world. You know, you're walking into rooms. What's what's a day kind of look like for you as far as walking into a new venue? And, and your approach to that? Uh, well, I mean, the, the big part is, especially with, with using two, we using, using two large diaphragm mics, which were the sure KSM 44s recently, uh, is, is basically tuning the system in the room for those two microphones to be as loud as I can get them in that space. And that's mostly dependent on speaker placement. And amazingly, even these days, there can be incredibly bad speaker placement where the spill on stage makes it incredibly difficult to do any kind of acoustic music. Uh, it happens a lot in a lot of places because for, for lots of reasons, the speakers get put in a place because it's all they can afford to do or it's all the law will allow them to do. Like in historic theaters, the historic theaters have traditionally the worst speaker placement of anywhere oh i can believe it <laughs> right because they can't change the they can't change the place and they can't they can't put speakers where the sound needs to be coming from <laughs> so it's 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 kind of understandable on the other hand of those same old theaters uh uh generally sound best when you turn it down as much as possible oh sure and let the room kind of do the work well, yeah, nine times out of ten, they they do it pretty darn well too. Uh, but yeah, but tuning tuning the system to the microphones where they sit on the stage, and it's all a factor of uh, how the stage relates to the main speakers and how much spill there is from the mains onto the stage. Uh, in in these rooms where there there's there's no proscenium and the speakers are just hanging in the air over the stage. It poses a, a, a really interesting balancing act between the really open microphones and loud speakers. Just the, the instruments themselves are not the loudest instruments on earth. And you're getting some of these intricate parts that these guys are playing where, you know, power is definitely not it's it's about the tone and, and the technique of it and trying to get that. And I mean, I've seen the punch brothers, I, I mean, I don't even know how many times, a ton. And, and Thiele solo and every show has sounded really good. And you guys have played a place here called the Music Farm, which is notoriously the worst sounding place <laughs> that uh, that you could put music a band. Farm? Yeah, it's called, it wasn't the Music Hall. It was, that's uh, the Charleston, or the, yeah, the Charleston Music Farm. 
And it's kind of almost an, is an old train station, I believe. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, right. I remember that place. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a tough room. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounded great in there. And I've seen some other um, like acoustic genre bands there that did not sound great there. <laughs> and, and and you made it happen. That, that room was exceedingly hard to do. And 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 if it sounded bad there for anybody else, it, they're not to blame. <laughs> it's a cool venue. It's a cool venue. When, and with a with a, a band with amps and 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 fifty eights would sound incredible in there. Uh, they have a great sound system, and it's really well done and a cool space. Uh, what's the name of that place again? The Music Farm. Music Farm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of like the uh, the Charleston's kind of got the um. Like the uh, you got the Charleston Poorhouse is where you uh, where you would start playing when you when you first start out it seems like and then you kind of graduate if you grow as a band you grow you head to the music farm and then if you uh, keep growing then you make it to the Charleston Music Hall or um, where Nickel Creek was when you did like the 2014 thing with the um, the Performing Arts Center here which kind of like the 3,000 seat theater I believe it is. Right, that was weird. That was weird. Yeah, <laughs> I bet that place was really odd. It's a strange place, man. It's it's the worst too if you have like a good seat in the center because there's no center. Like it's it's like a line of like thirty seats. So if you got to pee <laughs> in the middle of a show, right. you got to like walk by, you know. Right, and it just had well that place had a vibe of uh, uh, just not being used very much. I mean, that, I mean, that's my memory of that place. It, it, the room and the concert seemed like it went, I don't have m- bad memories of that. <laughs> oh yeah. No, the show was great. Yeah. It seemed like it went pretty well. Yeah. It is a weird place. It's real, real feels real dated, like seventies ish when you're walking around. Exactly. There. Right. Yeah. 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 You got a great memory, man. I've been so many places. I've, some of them I, I don't remember until I get back to them. Yeah, it must be nice to uh, to um, hit some of the places, though. Be you know, especially when you're with working with the Punch Brothers, and I would imagine some of the venues kind of turn out to be some of the same places, some of the nicer places. Go back and have an idea of what you were working with. Yeah, my I think my favorite places with Punch Brothers have all been with our one mic setup. Yeah, that so that was my next question because I've seen you do the one mic setup at Telluride with the full band. And then I've seen oh, two or three of the Thiele shows solo. Um, I saw the Boktoberfest at Emory. Yeah. And, and, um, and then I saw you guys at the Charleston Music Hall when um, he just did a solo show there. And again, like yeah. just the uh, – what is the one mic that you use when you, when you go out on that? Um, is it different when you do the solo Thiele show as opposed with the Punch Brothers? It's been the same mic. You've heard the same mic every time. Wow. Yeah. What is it? It's a, a Neumann U89. Oh, okay. In wide cardioid mode. So that's, it makes the, the mic sounds different in that mode. It's the, the high end is smoother and sweeter. And, and it really doesn't give up a lot of gain before feedback doing that. It just makes it sound better, I think. So what are some of the challenges with that, with going into, I mean, first off, I guess it wouldn't matter how good you are if you have five guys who do not know how to work one microphone <laughs> that's uh a- exactly you know well that's pretty much about what they do in front of it because like all, all i do on the one mic setups is is make it 
make the microphone as loud as it can be. <laughs> and that's, that's the limitation. It truly is. Uh, uh, and, and maybe that counts as making it way louder than it sh- ever should be. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's possible, too. Do you have to do a lot of, uh, like, once you have it set and the show's going, is there a lot of stuff you have to do, I mean, just besides monitoring it? Are there any things you have to do, like, during songs and as far as, as, far as that goes? Or is it kind of like set no, it? I ride and- it? I ride it like a cowboy. <laughs> in, in those kind of situations, I definitely do. I definitely do, because it, it's constantly changing. Uh, how many bodies are around the microphone change, change it. And it changes what's coming in from around the back and from what's coming in from the main speakers. And, and once again, still, it's, it's the main speakers and the placement of them that determine how loud that thing gets. Uh, and then it's completely up to what's going on in front of the microphone to sound good. And I don't think I've never seen anybody do it quite as good as Punch Brothers do. It's, it's an art form. It really is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've practiced it like a lot. Um, and, and I, not only, it's not only the, the tone, the tonality of the microphone changes depending on whether it's all five of everybody clustered around and they're all singing. Suddenly there's like a little wall of bodies around the microphone and it literally changes the way it sounds. No kidding. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll ride, I'll generally have a, a, a sweepable band set fairly narrow that I can kind of change the tonality of the mic as it, as it goes. And, and like when, the, when the guitar comes in for a solo, say it's going to require a slightly different setting than when the mandolin comes in. And, and in a way the mandolin has a real advantage on the single mic because of how high it's held and, how close he can get. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the, the, meaning the mandolin player, but uh, it's true. It's, it, it works out pretty well. Guitar can still be tough. And I try to, I actually try to save a little bit of gain for the guitar. And then, and then you can, you can dip it down in the, the boom, booming area, you know, uh, for, because, because that's also going to come up as the mic gets louder. It's a, it's a floating scale of, of, everything you know the low end gets louder as you turn it up and it feeds back more down low which requires more cut da 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 so it's a it's a constant balancing act any tips for anybody who's trying to make that happen that you might be able to say like well here's a couple things little pointers that you know might save them some some headaches and tears (laughs) yeah get a get a really nice note to frequency chart and learn notes to frequencies oh that's a that's that's a great tip. Oh well, it's it's kind of the whole ball game. It's all about notes. I mean, even on the PA system, the 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 EQ, it's all notes. And if you've got one note playing too loud, then you need to pull that down so it balances with the other notes. It's it's that simple. In in a very complex way. Too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, one of one of my favorite authors said that that behind everything simple is a long chain of complicated. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I really I've always loved that. That's a Terry Pratchett. Oh yeah, Terry Pratchett's awesome. Yeah. 
Do you have any great, uh, like, Spinal Tap road stories for being on the road with the Punch Brothers? Any, g- any good ones that you can share? <laughs> oh, I pumped our diesel van full of, full of uh, unleaded gas one oh, time. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. In France. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Made us miss, miss a gig. Uh, yeah. I, it's funny that I would like suddenly just think of that one because that's <laughs> my most embarrassing moment in life. <laughs> oh wow! Did you notice it uh, before you started it, or no? It, it it actually kind of refused to start real quickly, which is good because we managed to get it towed in and and drained and cleaned out, and it it didn't damage the van, thankfully. Oh, that's good! Holy cow! And we missed a gig, but we ended up picking up and playing somewhere else, which was absolutely horrid too it was like a, uh, uh yeah it was like a very low point in my life <laughs> oh no uh, stuck at a at a at a uh, we were at a uh, uh like a travel plaza in france and uh i i just misidentified the pump i didn't really i didn't i didn't i knew i wanted diesel but i thought i was pumping diesel oh man well, yeah, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> it did. It did. It did. Hey, good, the good news is they didn't fire me on the spot. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. How about uh, how about some um, do you have any like uh, like can you think of maybe a uh, live show highlight that you've had thus far in your career? Maybe a venue or just a moment for you where it was. It just all kind of came together and you're like, this is, this is why I do this. Oh, there's been so many, there's been so many just with punch brothers like that. Uh, uh, and they, they make those moments happen on a regular basis, uh, in, in venues that we're in where it just like, it's, it, it's magic. There's certain venues in the, that where it's been magic for everybody. You know, there's certain ones like where it's it's great in front of house and they're struggling on stage or it sounds great on stage and I'm struggling in front of house, but not that many where it happens all all together. And and those kind of stand out. Uh, well, Southern Theater in Columbus, Ohio is one of them. That's def- definitely one um, that, that pops to, into my mind like right away. At Nickel Creek at Southern Theater in Oakland, California was one, and it, and it kind of shows on that, that Nickel Creek Live record they just put out. That's where that one was recorded at? It was, it was recorded live to two-track. Was it really? Yeah. Wow. That's, well, no pressure. <laughs> well, it wasn't any extra pressure. It just It's what happened that night. It was just so good, and the audience was so good, and the room worked, and everything was, everything was right. You know, it just worked. I mean, one of my favorite places with Punch Brothers is probably the, the big concert hall in Hamburg, Germany, uh, that we got to play in. It's the the big uh, computer designed concert hall. Oh, no, I have to check it out. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to dig up the name of the place, but it's it's an it's an amazing room, and it was just kind of magical being there. Are there any places that you've walked into where you were just like, 
I mean, it could be at any point in your career, but were there like any places that for you were like, um, you know, like, oh, I've always wanted to be in this place and, and here I am. Oh, there's, there's been so many. Uh, it could be studio, uh, could be venue, could be anything. Uh, Hollywood Bowl with Goat Rodeo. Oh, wow. Uh, that and before that, uh, Royal Albert Hall with Don Williams. Oh, wow. You did. Oh, oh that's a neat man. Yeah. Those, that's a couple of, couple of big ones. Yeah. Uh, Carnegie Hall with Edgar and Carnegie Hall with Punch Brothers too. What's it like? Uh, what's it like running sound at, uh, Red Rocks? Red Rocks is cool. Is I love going there. Is I've seen a couple shows there. It sounds incredible, but I've always wondered, like, boy, I wonder if the, what what it's like running sound here. <laughs> it's not not easy for acoustic stuff there. It's a it's a it it'll make you sweat. One of those, <laughs> that's one of those ones that does, would do that. Um, and uh, my my memory of Red Rocks is like a lot of fun and really tired by the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> really tired yeah yeah that's a cool venue though oh it's so it's the best it's so unbelievable uh last time i was there was with i'm with her i got i did a sub substitution gig with i'm with her opening for john prime oh oh no way wow and it was fun it was uh we did the one mic thing with i'm with her and it was uh, uh to me it was like uh I did not feel like I did a very good job, but to, but to see John Prine and, and then to lose him not long after that was, uh, was, um, I was really glad I got the chance to hear him. I bet. Well, man, this has been just an absolute joy talking with you today, man. You are, uh, thank you. Yeah. Just, uh, I love your personality over the phone here even. And just you, uh, you get to do what you love and you can hear it in your voice and, and uh man and i i just can't thank you enough for being a part of some of these big recordings that i've listened to and that give me so much joy in the live shows that that you've uh run sound at that have just been like you know some of my favorite shows i've ever seen and and wow. uh and it's because of not just the performance of the band or seeing the band but the just the, the sound and the overall everything about the show and and you're a big part of that and i really appreciate it and i appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today my pleasure well that statements like that are what make it all worthwhile oh man that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome i can't wait till you're back out on the road and and and, and doing sound and and all that good stuff man yeah well me too i look forward to that